up to kick, but she sure did. Hello, science. My name is Liz Parker. It's nice to meet you. Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We are here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season one, episode seven, River Dog. According to IMDb, this is the one where Isabel finds a pendant which a Native American named River Dog claims an alien gave to the author of Among Us back in 1959. The episode was written by Cheryl Kane. This is her only episode of Roswell. She went on to write the Firefly episode War Stories, and she's listed as a story editor on that whole series. The episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes of Star Trek fame. He had a cameo in the pilot, and we will see him in a few uncredited roles a few more times throughout the series, and this is the first of five Roswell episodes that he directed. And this episode originally aired on the 17th of November, 1999. And we pick up where we left off, because of course this was our first episode that was a two-parter. It continues on from 285 South. I love a good cliffhanger. Those were always my, I mean, they're frustrating, but they were always my favorite TV episodes when I was younger, when you, and you actually have to wait to find out what happens. I used to get so mad when it said to be continued. Like, no! But I feel like then there's so much more excitement going into the next week when there's such a big mystery left hanging for you. Um, So when we start, they're in the geodesic dome downstairs they have had found that trap door and michael is being way too loud he's told to shut up and then he talks a lot more yeah he's told to shut up because he's shuffling around and then just talks a lot how does topolsky not hear this through the like very open slatty floor but she doesn't she's too busy trying to figure out how to open the lock that would open the secret door that they went down through. And luckily, Liz finally does something smart. Yay. Yay. So she sees a rat. So this rat gives them the clue to an escape route. And Liz is also really nice. She lets everyone else go before her, which I think is is very cool because the aliens are in more danger. So she lets them go ahead of her. Although Isabel and Max linger and Isabel finds this necklace. Ooh, Ooh. I wonder if this will come into play. It is play. a very interesting necklace. And they're all just yelling for each other. Isabel, Max, 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 Michael. They're so loud. They're whisper yelling. <laughs> yes. And then they leave and Topolsky has access to this space. They didn't gather up that much stuff. So there must have been some things left. Although it doesn't seem like she has gotten anything out of the house so i'm curious about why that i mean maybe she goes back and gets it after she realizes they got away we don't know well but then she would have something to report to her boss later that's very true it doesn't seem like she has anything and then i'm also wondering did the sheriff get up and leave while she was distracted it's not that big of a place you would think they would have run into each other at some point maybe he's still pretending to be passed out so that she doesn't know that he has seen her. Oh, and she just leaves him yeah. there. <laughs> Sounds like okay. something she would do. I guess. And then we have our lovely Dido singing our theme song. Yes. Every time the credits start, I think it's going to be that other Dido song, the White Flag. That song that wasn't out yet. Well, they sound exactly the same to me. Sorry, Dido. Um, Newsflash, 20 years later, she still sounds exactly the same. (laughs) Which is impressive for someone's voice to have kept its youthful sound. Yes, just her style is still very much the same. She played a concert recently in New York City, and I really wanted to go, but I can't remember why I couldn't. I already had something else going on that night, and I was bummed. I could have relived my high school days. So Liz is 
having her journal moment again. We have the voiceover of Liz's scientific journal where she introduces herself because it's scientific. Yes. Is that how science works? Hello, science. My name is Liz Parker. It's nice to meet (laughs) you. Every time I do science, I say, my name is Liz Parker. And I'm doing science. I'm just imagining Liz, like, looking through a microscope, talking to the little cells, being like, Hello, cell. My name is Liz Parker. You are an epithelial cell. Today, I will look at you up close using my friend, Mr. Microscope. I also think it's so funny, like, the way she writes it, she's trying to make it sound all, like, scientific and formal. So she's like, I did this, and I did this, and I engaged in general bonding with aliens. (laughs) General bonding? Is that the scientific term, Liz? Yes. Yes. Very scientific. Also, it's all happening in her brain. She doesn't even have her journal with her. (laughs) She's not writing this time. You're right. (laughs) Nope. Nope. And then Michael is still driving Maria's car for some reason. I would love to know who fixed the car and how long it took to fix the car. Because when they're driving, it looks like it's, well, it actually looks like it's sunset. But it looks like it's sunrise. But the sun was already out when they went to the dome. And so this timing doesn't make sense. And the drive, as we discussed last episode, takes at least four and a half hours. So it's um, interesting that they then make it back in time, in plenty of time for school. They even get to have breakfast first. Yes, in time for their mom to be like, are you going to have breakfast? I see I'm starting to be, I'm starting to notice these continuity issues a little more now after your... uh, very astute descriptions of them, Lisa. So I too was noticing a lot of problems with the sun situation and how far they had to travel and when school starts as we Mm -hmm. started this episode. Yep, this is not how time works. I also do want to take us back to the car for a second because they, presumably they left Maria's car wherever that motel was, which is where? Mm -hmm. Like somewhere between... Marathon, Texas, and Roswell, New Mexico. Just the logistics of it seem difficult. Like you were talking about, Lisa, when did the car get fixed? Overnight? Are garages open overnight? It was smoking. That seemed like a pretty serious problem. Right. And we saw that Isabel and Max, like, their powers can't fix their car, or at least they didn't fix their Jeep when it was having problems. Maybe they got better at fixing cars. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe yep. it just overheated, and now it works again because the overheating is done. Yeah. Maybe because Maria was standing near Michael, it just worked, because that's how power That's work. what I was thinking. Like, maybe Michael has the power to fix cars. He just didn't know it or wasn't able to access it before. Yeah, well, Michael's powers do come and go from episode to episode, as we have seen. I also did notice that he was driving her car, and that is something that happens often in TV shows and movies, and it makes me mad. Maybe she was like, I'm tired, I've been up all night, and I haven't slept, and you stole my car in the first place, so you're going to drive back. it's true. If it were like driving around Roswell, maybe it would be more annoying, but it makes sense to switch drivers on a long car ride. And also, I feel like we haven't really gotten into it in the TV show, and I don't know if I've brought it up before, but in the books, they like explicitly talk about how the aliens only need two hours of sleep a night to be refreshed, and they like do other shit with the rest of their time. Oh. Like Isabel likes to like reorganize all of her clothes and her makeup, <laughs> like after she's had her two hours of sleep, or she spends that time dream hopping into other people's dreams mm. for something mm-hmm. to do because she doesn't need to be sleeping during that time. So, um, you know, so it would make sense that Maria is very tired because she is a human and Michael is not tired because he only needs two hours of sleep so okay. he can drive. That makes sense. Cool. So as we said, they do make it back in time for breakfast and also in time for Max to sort of casually flip through the materials that they got and for Isabel to go through an old photo album where we find, yes, the necklace does have significance. It shows the same symbol that Isabel and Max drew together during a Florida vacation when they were children. And he can still draw it from memory today, even though he's not really sure what she's talking about. So it's imprinted somewhere in his brain. Also, he can draw it even though his eyes are closed. It is hard to draw with your eyes closed. 
Um, Isabel says that they'll be right down for breakfast, even though Max's room is on the first floor. So cool. Also, I thought that it was on the second floor in the episode where Michael breaks in, but maybe not. I'm going to go back and check on that. Yeah. I thought their house was a ranch. Good thoughts. Well, when we see the outside of it later, I think it's split Does it look? Okay. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Um, Also, Isabel is very protective of the necklace and wants to keep it hidden, so she wears it around her neck. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally looks like her usual style. And tucks it into her shirt to go to school, which I know my friends in high school would have been like, what's that necklace you're wearing? Why is it in your shirt? Why do you have it hidden? Yeah. Well, speaking of things that I don't know that you would do, Max's thought process apparently goes, okay, we know someone is following us and almost found us at the geodesic dome. Now we have this sensitive, super secret, extremely important information. Let's leave it at home. It's probably better if we don't lock it up or even bother to find a really good hiding place. I'll just shove it under my bed and I am certain that this will work out just fine for all of us. Yes, of course. That's Mm -hmm. the perfect plan. I mean, maybe they just got rushed because his mom came in and then they had to go have breakfast and go to school and maybe he didn't get a chance to find a better hiding spot. Or like shove it in his backpack and keep it with him so he could look through it Mm -hmm. at school. But it's a whole big box of stuff. Yeah, it would take some of it at least. Whatever. Anyway. Um, And that's why (laughs) Max is a Gryffindor and not a Ravenclaw. Yes. Okay. He didn't think through a plan. (laughs) Yes. Great. So we go to school where Maria is very excitedly talking about Michael, and she cites his hair as an obstacle to them being together, which I would just like to say, how dare she? The hair is a winning point. Absolutely. I'm usually 100% team Maria, but I was like, um, you're just fooling yourself here, honey. Yeah. No, the hair is great. It's perfect. Please don't ever change. I wish he would still wear his hair like that today. And I really want to meet Maria's mom, who talks to her, apparently, about vibrators. Yes. <laughs> He's a real vibrator. And Liz gets super excited about that. I Liz don't... turns to her and is like, woo, <laughs> vibrator. I enjoy this fun conversation. It's adorable. They're actually getting along as friends until Liz is like, oh, I'm done with this. I have to go do something different now. Bye. Which is her standard MO with Maria. I see someone else I would rather talk to. Bye-bye. And Maria was in the middle of a sentence. I know. It was very rude. It seems like this thing with Kyle could have waited. I mean, it's sort of urgent. He followed them to Texas and they like attacked him and, and took off, basically. So... But if he hasn't told anyone yet, is he going to tell anyone in the time between first period and second period or whatever? This is true. Probably not. But who knows? Maybe he's already told people. Yeah, in which case it wouldn't matter if she talked to him or not. But she does talk to him in the janitor's closet. And oh my god, poor Kyle. Liz does not remember that their first kiss was in that same place. And Kyle just looks so hurt. And I know he's not being super sympathetic in the scene, but I did still feel bad for him. Because clearly their relationship meant a lot to him and yeah. nothing It to was her. obviously just a summer fling to her. Which, fine. It, like, it doesn't have to have meant as much to her, but she nope. has to respect his feelings. She has already told him that they're not together anymore. Yeah, although at this he point he's still being be a doing creeper, that. so, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he still is just following around. He is getting a little stalkerish, as Maria said. And he is very suspicious, so he wants to know from Liz, is it drugs, are you part of some cult, or is it just about sex? Uh, So Kyle, okay, it's not a cult, it's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Kyle decides he's not going to tell anyone until he has something on Max that will destroy him. He has a lot of anger in this scene. Not, Not such a poodle anymore. Now he's a Rottweiler. Grr. <laughs> Although I'd also like to point out that there are no inherently dangerous or aggressive breeds of dogs. People that make them that way don't discriminate based yeah. on breed. But that being said, yeah. poodles are kind of mean. So then we go to Topolsky's office where we see a little bit of 
Angel's influence <laughs> on Darla, her character from the Buffyverse, because she's doing Tai Chi, which she does with her shirt on, unlike a certain vampire that we know, Angel. Unfortunately. And uh, she reports to Richard Schiff, playing the guy who called Valenti's dad Sergeant Martian way back in episode two, episode three, a few episodes ago. And he rightly points out that she is just not doing a great job of behaving covertly for a secret agent. No, she is not doing great. But also, he's an asshole. Yes, he is. He is. He is. I would like to point out that the posters on her wall are a scene of white water rafting with what looks like some inspirational quotations. And then there's a poster that says, you can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose to overcome them. And there's a landscape painting. And then there's a painting of a person with a basket of chili peppers. I point all of this out because she redecorates her office before the next time we see it in this same episode. I noticed that too. I was like, this does not look like the same office. So the landscape stays and the rafting stays, but the circumstances one is gone and the chili peppers one has turned into some, I can't figure out. It's like a diagram of something. I don't know. What were the set decorators doing? Were they just entertaining themselves in between takes? This doesn't make sense. Like there's so much more work for someone to change Maybe they had to save money and double up uh, filming a different show on the same set. And maybe that show changed the posters. And they didn't take any reference photographs or review the tape of their television show that they recorded. Not necessary. Great. Okay. Also, in this conversation with her boss, he refers to her drop kicking the sheriff. (laughs) And I initially was like. Uh, did she kick him like how can anyone kick him in the head like she used a shovel she i thought she used a shovel i went back she absolutely kicked him but it was not a drop kick it was more of a roundhouse kick but wow i thought it was a shovel i had the exact same thought process as you it's too high up to kick but she sure did it's so high but yeah i had to go back and watch that yeah i did too i was like she didn't kick oh she (laughs) kicked him So her new orders now are to go and get the material that they took from the dome home by any means necessary. But now we get to go to the UFO museum and hang out with our lovely little friend again. Milton! Our Milton, the only adult in Roswell who's good at his job. I love him. I like the actor who plays him and I like his character. He's just great. I do, too. I also really like that we get to see my very favorite exhibit again, as there is a giant rods sign behind them while Milton is talking to the sheriff. At first, uh, it's framed perfectly between their heads. They did a good job of showing us their rods. Whoever (laughs) was on that duty should have been in charge of a lot more things, because the rod stuff is always on point. Also, when he's first talking, you know, when we first get to the the scene and he's showing this slideshow he's showing you know some metal that that couldn't be melted and it had properties of uh, no properties of any metal that we have have on earth and i was just thinking of uh the the balloon that weather balloon remnants and how they thought it was a weird metal and they couldn't burn it and all that yeah someone on this show did do some research because that is that is a description of the material that supposedly was recovered from the crash UFO. So, very cool. And so Milton gives us a little more backstory. I think this is really unsubtle of Jim to show up at a public presentation when surely he could have found Milton somewhere more private so as not to call attention to himself and the fact that the sheriff is out in the middle of the day just interrogating random ufo guys whatever that's yeah they didn't even go into his office or anything no they're just standing there uh and so milton tells him that atherton was one of the first to publish on the crash and that among us which was published in 1955 i guess had information on that crash which would mean 
Atherton and this universe, uh, they had some sense of the 1947 incident being a crash long, 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 long before we did, because as we discussed in our four-part minisode on the real Roswell crash, no one was talking about it as a UFO event until 1978. So Atherton was way ahead of his time. He had a dome home a year before they were built. He's writing about an alien crash in Roswell long before anyone else. He's some sort of time lord. Maybe he's an alien. We don't know yet. And then uh, we find out that Milton's technology is slightly outdated as one of his slides just catches fire. Maybe Michael was nearby. It's an honest mistake. I still would trust Milton with any job. But of course, this does give the sheriff then the opportunity to compare the photo in Among Us of Atherton to the dead body from November 1959. And it is one and the same person. Is the corpse. Also, he managed to hide that file, and it did not get taken with all of his other files. So, good job. Mm. He didn't put it in his thermos. Good job, Sheriff Valenti. Tape it to the bottom of your (laughs) desk drawer like a real little spy. Unlike Max, who, as we mentioned, shoved all the stuff under his bed, and now, oh no. It's all gone. Because someone has broken into the house while they are away. I wonder who that could be. Oh, no. Oh, but before we get here, we do get to find out that Michael also thinks of Maria as a vibrator, Yes, too. he does. That Maria girl. Uh, Isabel sees right through it. Oh, yes, she does. And she's a little mad about it. Because that's her mm-hmm. secret girlfriend. Uh-huh. I know. What is going on, Michael? So insensitive. Also, Isabel gives him her phone, and of course, Maria's number is already in Isabel's phone for reasons. And Isabel also tells him she's desperately low on minutes. Yes, remember (laughs) those times when you didn't have unlimited minutes and unlimited data and unlimited text messages? And like, what was data? That didn't even exist yet. And you all—you always hoped someone would call you instead of you calling them so that it would be charged to their minutes and not yours. (laughs) So when they get to the Evans house... Mrs. Evans said she came home on her lunch break. It is now sunset, and the sheriffs are still there clearing the scene. This seems like a really long time for this many sheriff's deputies to be hanging out at one crime scene, and also all of the neighbors are still just out on the street watching. They got nothing better to do. It's a small town. This is big news. I guess. This is very inefficient police work, though. And Mrs. Evans hasn't checked the bedrooms. It's been... We're going to assume like six to seven hours, depending on when she takes lunch. Okay. So the kids just go in because, as we all know, when there is a crime scene, it's important to just go in and move things around and just do whatever Mm -hmm. and disturb the scene as much as humanly possible or alienly possible. So that's what they do. And finally, an adult gets to say to the sheriff, hey, so you actually can't just interrogate kids for no reason. This is not allowed. Good job. Thank you, Mrs. Evans. Finally. And then Deputy Blackwood is back so that he can tell Isabel, ooh, I recognize that symbol on your necklace from the Mesa Lika Reservation. And she actually does a really good job of playing it cool. She finds out the reservation that he grew up on but she doesn't give away too much so i was i was like all right good job isabel yeah she did good lying there she was like oh i got it at the mall mm, i like that retro vibe and i found out the mesa Lico reservation is made up there is a mescalero apache reservation near the white sands missile range which is not far from roswell yeah i assumed that that's what it was modeled after Yeah, and that uh, reservation is a common tourist destination because it has all of these petroglyphs, which we'll see later in this episode in their interpretation. Um, I also read about the Mescalero Apache tribe and the the Mescalero reservation that's there. And in 2010, they reported having 3,600 residents there, uh, but Wikipedia lists it as a little over 5,000. So it seems as though um, their numbers could be growing. Or Wikipedia is wrong, but I won't entertain that. Or they're distrustful of the census and not <laughs> providing an accurate count. Um, but but also, I did do some interesting reading about how in the in the 19th century, um, they had opened the reservation to other Apache bands whose descendants are now enrolled in the Mescalero in the Mescalero tribe. 
Um, so it sounds like they have a history of being welcoming to other Native people. Hmm. Well, that goes along with them welcoming in the stranger then. Yeah, I guess so. And I am certain that none of this was in any way related to horrible U.S. policies that forced people off of their ancestral lands. Of course not. These people just wanted to come hang out with the Mescaleros because they were cool peeps. They just wanted to leave their homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. U.S. history. We did a great job all the time. Of course we did. But I also assumed it was modeled after this one because when I looked on a map, this is the only... Uh, the only reservation in that area of New Mexico. So then we fast forward to nighttime where Michael has taken on the role of guy walking down a dark alley, probably just for the purposes of us being able to see that Agent Obvious is still following them. I'm surprised he didn't get kicked off this mission after how poorly he did following them in the car in 285 South. I mean, maybe they're just still letting him hang around until they can get a replacement in town. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe Sapolsky's whole team is just awful. That's entirely possible. So Michael does make it to the crash down where there's a little cute piece of choreography with all the aliens bursting in and Liz and Maria kind of getting like tossed around. And then Liz and Maria blow off work to go to Liz's house upstairs to hang out with the aliens and have a little chat about what's going on. And this is when Michael sees sees the symbol and he knows Mm -hmm. it too. So there's also a moment in here. Do either of y'all have brothers? Yes, I have a brother. So the way Max touches Isabel's arm, I was like, oh, this is not sibling touch. This is like romance touch, which makes sense because Jason Bear and Katherine Heigl dated through most of the show's run. But I was like, oh my, mm, that's not how my brother and I would ever touch one another. I feel like that about TV and uh, TV and movies a lot. It's a little cringy. Um, so uh, Michael knows the symbol, but Max insists they can't do anything dumb because they just did their super dumb thing for the episode where he left all of their files in the house unattended. So sorry, we ran out of dumb points. I don't know why, but I thought it was a funny line when Michael first notices the necklace And he says, I know that symbol, too. And he said, all three of us know it. We think it's from the past. From the past. It's like, yeah. From the past. That's how your memories work. When else would it be from? I mean, it would be pretty baller if it was a future memory. Which, like, who knows? We don't know how, you know, their minds work from their planet. But pretty sure so far they just remember things from the past. So I just thought that was a funny line. Yeah. We think it's from the past. I think he meant, like, past with a capital P. The past that we don't like, remember. pre-human yeah. past, yeah. Like, imprinted on their brains somehow. Mm-hmm. Totally. So we go to Topolsky's office, and as we have mentioned, maybe in a fit of peak after that stressful conversation with her boss, she has redecorated her office somewhat. And now she is playing hostess to one Sheriff Valenti, who... In this scene, and then especially in the bar scene later, but I think this is where it starts for me, where it seems like Bill Sadler is playing Nick Wexler playing Sheriff Valenti. (laughs) Like, his, the way that he's talking and his mannerisms and stuff, I was like, were they just hanging out a lot and, like, studying each other so they could seem more father-son-y? I think they did. Yeah, you're totally right. could have. That's funny. And they're still in touch today. Bill Sadler just posted on his Instagram a few days ago a photo of him and Nick. And I was just Aww. like, oh, so cute. The Valenti men together again. It was really adorable. I mean, I do like here in Topolsky's office and then later when they're at the bar, he's definitely like he's putting on a very different character. He is playing a very different tactic with her than he is mm-hmm. usually playing to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. He's like playing his son. It's a little weird. Or maybe this is like his younger cocky. Yeah, he's being self, like cheeky. Just kind of like cheeky Kyle. and almost flirty. Yeah, in the bar scene. The bar scene it, it's definitely flirty. His mm-hmm. his body language also, the way he's like leaning on his you know, he on his elbow, you know, has his head on his hand, looking at her. It's weird. Yeah, this whole conversation is him being like I know what you are, and you know that I know, and I know that you know that I know. 
it's this like cute little back and forth. He's like, you know, I woke up with one hell of a headache. And she's like, oh, you must have had your head in the wrong place. It's not subtle. No, it's not at all. Like they both clearly know yes. what's going on. But they're, yeah. But neither of them is going to directly say anything. Right. Not yet. Anyway, they're playing mind games. They totally are. Someone who's not playing mind games is Liz, who's being very earnest. She's just showing up standing outside Max's window, which is so awkward. I don't know why she wouldn't just go to the front door and knock. It's not like his parents would be like, uh, you. Whatever. It gives her the opportunity to conveniently fall into his arms. Yes, it's more clandestine this way. And then she goes from... I. I don't like the first half of this scene, but I do like the second half. Because in the first half, she's saying that she's responsible for all the trouble because it started when Max saved her life. And I was like, no, that was his decision. She didn't choose to get shot. He's the one who made that choice. Right. And he could have not interfered. He chose to put them in danger. So she doesn't need to feel guilty for that. She has plenty of other things to feel badly about. She's made a lot of very foolish and reckless decisions, as we've discussed. But putting that all on her is mm, not something that she should be doing. But then she gets to a place where she's like, Max, I didn't come here for permission. I'm telling you my plan and you can't stop me. This is what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine. I was like, good for you, Liz. Yeah, she's like, I came here for the necklace. But if you don't give it to me, I'm still going. I'll just draw it. I love that. Way to go, Liz. Yeah, she's like, it's a very simple design. I actually remember what it (laughs) looks like, so this is fine. Um, I don't know when Isabel gave the necklace to Max, but he now has it to give to Liz. Of course. The necklace makes its way around. But it's a good thing Liz has it. It did help her out. And then as she's getting ready to leave, they have this, like, very sexual, tension-y, forehead-lean situation. And I was trying (laughs) to remember, we haven't seen them kiss since the end of the pilot, right? We have seen them get their faces very close to each other. Yes. We have seen Liz totally think she's getting kissed only to have Max reach behind her to fix a tear in the Jeep. Yes. In the last episode. But this moment felt particularly like they both wanted the same thing, but neither of them are going to do it. It's a will they, won't they type of situation. Yes. Driving me crazy. I am fine with them, just not doing (laughs) it. I'm not fine with that. Because, ugh. They're so boring. I think in this episode, especially because we get the contrast a little later with Maria and Michael, who have great chemistry, I don't think Liz and Max have good chemistry. I don't see it. I'm not invested in them. Elisa disagrees with me. That's fine. Yeah, but it's also, I'm a sucker for that looking longingly, although not so much anymore. It is kind of annoying me, but just from watching it when I was little, like they are... You know, these meant to be two love story people. I don't know. Yeah. So even when I was a teenager, I very clearly remember getting into ska and punk music because I didn't want to hear songs about a boy who likes a girl. And it was always Mm. heterosexual stuff. And just the longing and the you're the person for me and I need you. And I always found it really boring. And same thing with TV shows where I was like, I don't want to see two attractive white skinny people just being like "Mm, i love you i love you we can't be together life is so hard so then we get to the reservation which liz drives to in maria's car maria's mom is very generous with this car i thought it was a different car i thought it was a third car isn't Maria's car oh, I thought red? It was Maria's car. This was like a silvery yeah, I thought... sedan. I think it must oh. be her parents' car. Oh, really? That maybe she probably had hmm. to ask to use, but Also, why does she go at night? She's going to a strange place she doesn't know by herself. She couldn't go like in the afternoon after school when it's light out. First she meets this woman who gave me a little chuckle when she tells Liz that the symbol means tree of knowledge. And then she was like, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Just looks old. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Which, but does it, does it look old? It doesn't look particularly old to me. It looks extremely well preserved for something that's been sitting in a house for 40 years. In a dusty old house. Maybe Isabel took it home and polished it. 
with her mind Or maybe powers. it's, like, those, like, magic metals that, like, you know... They don't rest. Yeah. I would say, like, that it can't be broken or... But it's obviously broken because then Eddie brings her the other piece. Yeah, maybe it's it can only be broken by certain things. So someone who does know what the symbol means is this old man who we later find out is River Dog, who is clearly unsettled by the symbol. And... River Dog is played by Ned Romero, who was in a lot of movies and TV shows, including Star Trek in its various television incarnations. He died in 2017 at the age of 90, and he started out his career as an opera singer. Wow. Who sang in five languages. He spoke French and Spanish fluently, and his roots are French and Spanish and Chirimacha Native American which is a tribe that is based here in Louisiana, where I live. Wow. Yeah. I'm just fascinated that he was a professional opera singer. I know. How cool is that? I hope he comes back in later episodes to sing a little aria for us. That would be lovely. Maybe that's how the aliens communicate. They could. He also had a very long career of playing Indian Americans in movies and TV shows, and I read part of an article uh, from Wayback Magazine from 2012, where he talked about how kind of how different mm. the roles he played were. And that, you know, back when he first started, he was in a movie called The Savage American. And he said about it, there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue. I think savage was the only word I said throughout the whole film. He also said that people's perception of the Indian or the Hollywood Indian, at least at that time, was very stoic, just one or two lines, no blink no expression. And, you know, I must say when we talked about that this would be the next episode we were watching, we were all a little nervous about it, knowing how Hollywood often has portrayed Native Americans in media. And I think, well, at least they did a better job than that. Because that is Yep, he gets to say actual sentences, so progress? Full sentences. Although we would love to hear from anyone who might be a Native American who is listening, if you have any thoughts to share with us on this episode and the portrayal of the Native characters here, please let us know. We we definitely do recognize um, that we are white people who cannot speak to the experiences of people who are in that community. Those communities, I should say, because obviously it's many different communities. Right. So we said before we got started that we wanted to make sure we addressed some of the problematic issues that might arise with this episode and Native American cultures in the United States. And Eliza did some great research for us. So let's hear about that now. Just the line that made me look it up was when Isabel was like, you know, that deputy, the Native American one. Um, which made me think, what are the correct terms to use? What do Native American people prefer? Um, because I remember meeting people when I was younger in elementary school who told us that they actually preferred the term Indian over Native American, um, which was the opposite of what I had been taught. So I looked at uh, AmericanIndian.si.edu from the National Museum of the American Indian, which is a Smithsonian museum. I would love to go there. Um, I was like, I was looking all over their website. It's a very well put together website and looks like a, looks like a great place. Yeah. So this is a quote directly from the website. And they said, so they were talking about American Indian, Indian, Native American, and Native. Um, and they said, quote, all these terms are acceptable. The consensus, however, is that whenever possible, Native people prefer to be called by their specific tribal name. In the United States, Native American has been widely used, but is falling out of favor with some groups. And the terms American Indian or Indigenous American are preferred by many Native people. Yeah, from what I could see, that's a Canadian thing. Because I wonder, Alaska Natives, like Alaskan Native people don't identify as American Indian. 
the contiguous United States. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was really good to know that whenever possible, people prefer to be called by their specific tribal name. And it makes complete sense because they're from totally different areas, totally different cultures, languages, you know? Yeah. And when in doubt, always ask the person what they would like. Everybody's going to be different. I mean, and that goes for anything. But yeah, some people, like I just said, some people might prefer Indigenous Americans. Some people might prefer Indian. So if you are friends with somebody or meet somebody in your path of life, just ask them. Like people are, hopefully people are not going to be angry that you ask and genuinely want to know Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. So Riverdog goes to Liz at her car and asks for the pendant, and she gifts it to him, even though it's really not hers to give, which I didn't love. I get that she's probably a little freaked out, but she also seems to then still have it later somehow, even though she definitely gives it to him here. So, eh. Who knows? And once again, we get another episode of my favorite show within a show. Liz is bad at lying, where she cannot in any way be convincing. She's like, we found it. I found it. No one else knows about this. What? And Riverdog doesn't tell her what it means to him. He just says, this is dangerous. It brings death. There are a lot of moments in this episode that I feel like should be followed by a dun-dun-dun. But instead... The scene ends there. And we go back to the crash down. Yeah, we're meant to think that he said that line and she was like, okay, bye. <laughs> well, it was nice meeting you. <laughs> um, so the next day we go to the crash down and a very handsome fellow named Eddie comes in. And so as Elisa mentioned, we were all really nervous that the portrayal of Native peoples on this show would be as bad as something like... Buffy, season four, episode eight, Pangs. And uh, that's interesting because the actor who plays Eddie, Todd Dolly, was the not awesome character of Hoos in Pangs, who is a Shumash, um, which is a real tribe that in the show they seem to say is like totally, um, has been completely wiped out. So that whole episode is deeply problematic. Um, so here, Eddie is playing a member of the Mesalico, which is this made-up tribe, and it is at least less offensive than the role that he played in Buffy. But I found not a lot of information on this actor, Todd Dolly. He was in a few things, including a Mortal Kombat television show, but he hasn't had any acting credits since 2007, and I think that has something to do with what he's doing now, which is he and his wife run a nonprofit called the Healing Hunter Foundation, and they established it in 2010 after their three-year-old son Hunter died of acute myeloid leukemia. Aww. So, uh, yeah, very sad news. And his wife and maybe he now run a bakery in Oregon. Aww. So that's all that I could find out about him. I would go eat at that bakery. Yeah, me too. Yeah, their cakes looked really pretty online. <laughs> I'm going to put a link to their bakery for anyone who lives in Oregon or wants to make a trip out that way. And then we do get some problematic stuff when Eddie points out the menu item that includes a racial slur in its name. And I, of course, we are meant to find this distasteful. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and so this name was the name of our NFL team, and I have a lot of feelings about it. And it still is, correct? It still is, even though there have been so many opportunities for the owner to just say, hey, everyone is right, this is super offensive, we're deeply sorry, let's work with all of the many, many, many made it 
the many Native American organizations that have told us this is offensive and urged us to change the name, let's do that. They have not. They have not done it. It's still called that. It's awful and I hate it. And Liz says she's been trying to get this menu item off of the menu for months. The restaurant's owned by her parents, right? So, like, which one of them is the racist holdout who's like, no, we need to keep this on the menu? I don't understand. If she is telling the truth... Or if she just is telling him that because she knows that it's racist and that they shouldn't have it on the menu. It also doesn't fit with the alien theme. Why is it? Why? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I feel like they just wanted to make a weird joke here. Yeah, that's not a fun. That's not funny. And he is appropriately unimpressed by her being like, oh, I tried. Yeah, I thought um, I thought they were using it as an opportunity to point out that that is a racist slur and that it is offensive. And people get offended by it. Yeah, but like, why say it then? I could have done without it. Yeah, but I do like his his response. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for the effort. My people are indebted. Yeah. And she just turns around to walk away. That is Liz's response to what he says. Yeah. Until he gets her to turn back around. Well, he has something that she wants now. Yep. So River Dog, for some reason, has the other part of the pendant. And again, Liz has gotten the pendant back, even though I'm pretty sure she gave it to Riverdog at the end of that last scene. Whatever, it's fine. I thought that he just, he said, give it to me as like, let me see yeah. it. And that okay, he had some, he had given it back to her before she left. Okay. I think he wanted to verify that it was what he thought it was. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So he had the other part of the pendant. Now it's whole. Yay. And he's going to meet her at 10 o'clock tonight. And... Eddie is very clear that she has to come alone. But who wants to do that? I mean, to be fair, as a young woman, I would not go anywhere at 10 o'clock at night alone because men are scary. Mm -hmm. But now we get this crazy, convoluted, multi-car chase spy mission operation thing. So there's a banner over the car in one of the first shots for Thunderfest, which is a real event in Covina, California. (laughs) (laughs) This is also where Michael starts his series of different ways to say that something is not fun. So (laughs) he says, I think this plan bites. So this this whole plan revolves around a lot of misdirects, and one of these is Liz and Max go into this movie theater where the movies that are playing, it's two Hitchcock movies called The Secret Agent and The Lady Vanishes, because once again, Roswell's favorite thing is subtlety. Also, this is a lot of skidding and drifting and crazy driving for a small town. Yes. You would think a sheriff's deputy would have caught up to one of them by now. Where is everyone? (laughs) Where are all the cops? Or even just people on the street being like, this seems dangerous. So they are effective. They do vanish the secret agent lady who is following them. And I would like to take a moment to say... What is the deal with Liz's hat? There is some bad fashion in this show, but that hat, I was like, I can't listen to anything you're saying. Your hat is too loud. (laughs) It's chilly. She needs a beanie. So Liz and Max go into the movie theater just to come out the other side, because that was the plan. Maria's not yet there. But then when she does arrive, they get she gets out of the car. They get in her car and drive away. Without thanking her. That was part of the plan, though. And just though. left her there, though? It's a small town. She'll be fine. Well, I assume that Michael and Isabel then come pick her up or something. I mean, she's not like, wait, what about me? Like, she knew, it seems like she knows that's the plan. Like, they're going to get away in her car and she'll make her way to wherever. Right. At this point in the episode, Roswell had fully redeemed itself, in my mind, for being, uh, for not being a show that just shows that trope of boys can drive and girls can't because Liz got behind the driver's seat or in the driver's seat rather of Maria's car and Topolsky was doing some crazy driving. Uh, Topolsky blew through three red lights, two stop signs and was doing 70 in a 30 mile an hour zone, according to our favorite sheriff. But who's counting? Oh, right. Jim Valenti. She is a walking, talking, moving violation. 
To which she responds, I'll take that the best way I can? What? She was flirting. That is a weird flirt. They are both bad at it. He also says he can take her in and hold her overnight for this. I don't think that's accurate. But of course, right, this is just an empty threat because he wants to go have drinks with her. Yeah, so he can get his weird flirty flirty on a little more and try and get some information out of her. Mm-hmm. Speaking of information, Liz tells Max that her contact just said to come back tonight. That's all he said. Which, no, Liz, he also very clearly said to come alone, which Liz omits from her conversation with Max. Eddie is mad that she has brought someone else. And she's so entitled when he walks away. She's like, wait, you can't just leave. Of course he can. You you broke the rules. He's like doing you a favor and inviting you to this place to share information with you. So, hmm. Yeah, he's the one who made up these rules and you broke them. Yeah, this it was an agreement. Pretty cut and dried. Like, he said, if you want A, you have to do B. And she was like, I'm doing Q. Yeah, like, these are the stipulations. She didn't respect them. Nope. But he decides to give it a go because the symbol means something to Max. So he's going to let him take the little test. And then he leads them out into a field and abandons them. And there was definitely a part of me that was hoping this was the whole thing. That this guy was just like, ha ha, you dummies. That was the test. (laughs) Good luck in this field. But first we go back to the crashdown for just a minute to see what Isabel and Michael and Maria are up to. And Michael is straddling the counter, eating cake with hot sauce. (laughs) Well, first he's kind of a jerk and says something sexist, and Maria points out that it's sexist. And I was like, great job, Maria. Way to go. And Isabel is just like, uh, yep, this is how he always is. What is the sexist thing he says? Oh, he says something about being stuck in the diner with two, like, blabby Uh, girls or something. I think he says they're yakking. Yes. Okay. And Maria says some women of the 20th century might find that last remark just a tad bit sexist. And he's like, why? What? What'd I do? Whatever. Free cake. One line I did write down, though, is his next way of saying things suck, which is that he said, (laughs) this sucks the big one. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I guess they can say sucks. So why did he say it bites earlier? I'm just looking forward to other ways of saying this that he may use in the future. Linguistic variation. Yes. And then we finally get an actual explanation for the Tabasco things. It's that they like extremely sweet mixed with extremely spicy. It's a little dietary quirk. Then there's some more little flirting going on, a little flirt flirt. And then Isabel is pretty mad about it. And I mean, I would be mad too if my secret girlfriend, (gasps) who I told to not come anywhere near me in public, uh, was flirting with a dude. I know, not cool, Maria. Golly. She's right there. So Isabel just leaves them. I wouldn't want to sit around for that awkward flirting situation either. And then Eliza... Aliza, you were wondering about them saying that something sucks, but then we go back to the field, and when they realize that they've been left out there, Max says something that sounds a lot like he's saying the F word. Yeah. My subtitles say he says frickin' Eddie. I definitely heard feckin' Eddie, like a Boston way of cursing. (laughs) I was like, how did this make it past standards and practices? Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, I I heard and saw freaking Eddie and still thought it was pretty out of place. But Liz does another observation thing. Yay, her Mm -hmm. second one in this episode. She sees a cave. And of course, what do you do when you see a cave? You go in to the big scary cave. Of course, especially at night in the dark. In a strange place where you have just been abandoned in a field. Maybe that's the test. And then we see another alien power where Max makes light. I mean, they were told there would be a test. Yeah. yeah. The test is, will you go in this cave or not? They pass. Yay. So Max makes light with his hands after Liz gets, I guess, grabbed by River Dog, who is lying in wait in this cave. So there's another alien power, light making, which we saw Isabel do with that lantern. And I was wondering in the 
in the basement of the geodesic dome home. It didn't seem mm-hmm. like there would be fuel left, but now we know maybe they can just make light out of nothing. So maybe that's what she was doing there too. So we go to the bar where the sheriff is like at his most <laughs> Kyle in this whole scene. I really mm-hmm. think he's just channeling his son and he discloses he's been following Topolsky for a while. This is also where we learn that she is an FBI agent. I have been referring to her as an agent of a vague yet menacing government agency, but it turns out she works for a specific and completely inept government agency. But now we know. Yeah, I thought we had established that the West Wing guy, that Richard Schiff is her boss, Mm -hmm. and I thought we had established that he was from the FBI. I don't think they've ever said it before. I think that's what you would likely conclude, but I don't think they have explicitly said it until now. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. I mean, do they call the the agent that's sitting on the folding chair in the sheriff's department, do they call him an FBI agent? He's from the FBI, yeah. Yeah. But we don't know that Topolsky is involved with them. Yes, that's very true. But she is. And then they do this whole little hearty heart, wasn't it funny when you kicked me in the head bit? Which, all right, that's what floats your boat, man. Yep. So this is like weird, aggressive flirting, and the sheriff gets some creepy smiling in. Also, at the end of the scene, when she gets up close to him, she's like, isn't there some other way we can work this out? Excuse me? At first it was like kind of flirting, and then it's like explicit, offering sexual favors. Except then she turns it into, I could have some info that you might want. But the way she said it was very suggestive. I'm glad they are only going to exchange information and not something more intimate. And then we get to go back to the cave to see what Riverdog has to show and tell Max and Liz. And he tells them that he once knew someone like Max. He didn't know where this person came from or why he was here. But Riverdog hasn't seen him for 40 years, since 1959. Ooh. So what happened to him? Which Liz definitely notices. Yeah. Liz takes note that it's 1959. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition in this scene. So we find out the only other man that this person trusted was Atherton, who he gave the necklace to. But then, oh no, the man murdered Atherton. Yikes. And so Riverdog seems like he kind of witnessed the murder, but he was too far away to see any details. I'm really curious how the handprint factors in, because we saw that it was on the corpse, but it showed up on Liz when Max saved her. So I'm wondering why it would also show up when an alien killed someone, or maybe there's more to the story here. Or maybe he had a heart attack and the guy was trying to save him, Yeah, but failed. Yeah, there's still many unknowns and so it looked like he killed him and max also brought up some possibilities that you know maybe it was self-defense maybe he was going to out him or whatever yes still a lot of mysteries to be solved yes one of the mysteries is why there is a door at the crashdown with a 420 sticker on it Mm. doesn't seem like a mystery to me sounds like people in roswell like to get high (laughs) (laughs) right who put it there was it liz's mom or her dad (laughs) yeah which one of liz's parents yep or both of them who knows maybe it was that that creepy guy who works in the kitchen who was like flirting with maria one time yeah (laughs) who blew maria kiss so we're in the crash down but now this tension is so thick you could cut it with a knife until michael and maria Now they just got a kiss. With so much mouth noise. Oh, yes. It's too loud. Like they're eating each other's lips right off their faces. Yeah. It's weird. Trigger warning to those with misophonia. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Not pleasant. No, it's brutal. It's way too loud. Um, And it's because she's freaking out. She tells him to be a man, which don't ever tell anyone that. And uh, so he kisses her and says, oh, that was to calm you down. Oh, sure it was, Michael. Like, you didn't want to kiss her. She has the most amazing lips. Uh, she does. Although I saw an interview with Mahandra Delfino, who plays Maria, who said that her high school nickname was Fish Lips. Oh, 
Oh, buddy. That's bullshit. She has beautiful lips. I know. I bet all of those kids in high school who teased her are now like, oh, crap. I just wanted to kiss them and I was jealous and that's why Uh I was so mean. Yeah. Note to kids in high school, anyone who's bullying you is probably doing it for reasons other than they actually think there's something wrong with you. You're beautiful and perfect. Keep going. So I do also want to go back for a second to... The last time we were in the crash down when they were talking about their love for Tabasco sauce and that they like things really, really sweet mixed with really, really spicy. And I feel like we're seeing that in some of the characters. So Michael here is really, really sweet. And at times he's really, really spicy. So I thought that was interesting. I'm starting to notice it. In different people, maybe Maria, too. Yeah, and their dynamic is very, like, sweet and spicy because they do the classic TV trope of the bickering couple whose hateful passion turns into lustful passion. Yeah, this kiss happened about four seconds after they said, I hate you. Ditto. Yep. So they're they're the real will there, won't they? So after the incredibly loud smoochies, we go back to the cave for Riverdog to show these cave drawings or paintings to Max. And these are things that the other alien did. Max says it seems familiar, like I know what it means, but I can't remember. I wonder if this will come up again. Mm. And this is when Riverdog tells him the alien was afraid of others. He doesn't know who they were, but they were going to find him and kill him. So he had to leave. And Max is the only one since then who has come, the only one who's passed the test. The drawings might be a message, they might be a warning, but Riverdog says, nope, you have nothing more to learn from me, and I'm done, I did what I was supposed to do, bye! Goodbye, get off my reservation. Yes. But before that, he stops Liz, because she's not one of them, and tells her to make sure that Max deserves her trust. I'm going to say based on both of their behavior over the last several episodes, Max is probably the one who should be questioning whether he can trust Liz because she's the one who's been reckless with his secrets Mm -hmm. and put them on the edge of getting in some very deep trouble. Although Max has done his fair share of endangering them too. Yes. So maybe they should both just stay the heck away from each other. Yeah. So I kind of put that to a question of does he deserve her trust and was thinking about that and I hear your answer that you don't think that he does deserve her trust no i think the people that he is the people whose trust he's betraying are michael and isabel yeah i think liz can trust him he's shown that he'll do whatever it takes to protect her even when it's at the expense of his family which i don't think is awesome no it is not awesome but i agree i think that He has shown that she can trust him. To at least take care of her. Yeah. But I don't know if that's everything. I don't think that's the foundation of a solid relationship, is him being willing to risk everything and everyone just for her, because she's all that matters in his universe. He was also willing to be vulnerable and open up to her. Like he said, you know, I got to see inside your mind and your memories, so... Now you can look inside mine, which I thought was at least an attempt to show that she could trust him. Yeah, totally. I The thing that I take issue with is just like them being each other's whole world. Yeah. I don't think that's healthy. I agree. And you shouldn't put someone over your family. There's plenty of people who operate that way, though, whether or not it's healthy. Yep. And I don't like it when it happens in real life either. Okay. So who was everyone's pick? For hot and saucy. Well, my can my hot and saucy be a moment? Not just a first yeah. okay. Totally. Well, well I mean, it's that beautiful that beautiful noisy smoochy between <laughs> Michael and Maria is my hot more hot than saucy, but my hot and saucy pick for this episode. I'd say it's pretty saucy too, judging on the circumstances how it happened. And what about you, Elisa? No, Lisa, you go first. I'm not ready. (laughs) I like Maria and Michael's chemistry. It is much better than the chemistry that I see between Max and Liz. So I appreciate that. But I, uh, I also 
don't see them having the healthiest dynamic. So I don't know if I can be on board with that. I did. I I thought that the sheriff's flirting with Sapolsky was actually like creepy. I didn't think it was hot or saucy, but it is the first time that we get to see him in that light. So I might pick that just as a like, all right. All right, Bill Sadler, do your weird faux flirty thing, I guess. Whatever, man. That was on my list as a runner-up. Just his, like, saucy flirtiness that's going on. Even if it's kind of weird and creepy and it's fake to get (laughs) what he wants, it still is, we're seeing a different side of him. Yes, the side that tries to kind of maybe seduce women into giving him information. Mm, Regretting choosing this. Women who have roundhouse kicked him in the head. He has a tape. <laughs> so mine is also Michael and Maria, but it's not really, it's not exactly the kiss. It's when they're sitting with Isabel in the crash down and they're explaining to Maria why they have, why they eat Tabasco. This extremely spicy and extremely sweet. And so, and Maria says, looking right at him, I'll have to keep that in mind with this like cheeky little smile. Uh, And I I think that's maybe what prompts Isabel to say. That's what drove Isabel away. Poor Isabel. Oh no. Are you flirting? Could my life get any worse or something like that? Um, But I love that. I love her, her flirting with him in that way. Awesome. Well, then we just have one thing left, and that would be Lisa's predictions. So our next episode is going to be season one, episode eight, Blood Brother. So based on the title Blood Brother, what do you expect to happen in the next episode, Lisa? It would be interesting if we got more information about the actual biological relationships among the aliens like we find out who are max and michael really blood brothers because if they are then i can't ship them anymore but it would be interesting information to have based on the things that have happened here i think that this other alien has to show up at some point it's like chekhov's alien (laughs) so I think we're going to see him, and I think that at some point they'll go back and figure out this message. Maybe that's what will lead them to this other alien man. I'm curious how old he's going to be, since it seems like he was an adult in 1959. Maybe they age differently, and we'll find out about that. And I'm also interested to see more of Sheriff and Topolsky working together, and whether their flirtation actually continues or develops. I like your predictions. We will have to wait and see. Thanks for joining us for our discussion of Season 1, Episode 7, Riverdog. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss Episode 8, Blood Brother. Next Tuesday, we'll have a new mini-sode out where we will be talking about the 1994 television movie, Roswell, which stars Kyle MacLachlan of Twin Peaks fame. In the meantime, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and please do rate and review us on iTunes to let us know how we're doing and also to help other listeners find us. You can always check us out on roswellhotsauce.com where we post show notes and we have our bios and all sorts of other information. You can always find us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce, sharing all sorts of weird pictures from the show. Also, if you have any questions or comments or just things you want us to know, feel free to shoot us an email at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. This episode was edited by Lorena Rose. Our theme music is by David Belcourt. Our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, ask yourself... Is it drugs? You part of some cult or is it just about sex?